Happy Easter, Resurrection. Christ is risen. Those were two different traditions meeting together. For some people, it's Christ is risen indeed, and for some, it's Alleluia. So let's do the one tradition that says Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Now let's do the other tradition. Christ is risen. See, y'all can go both ways. Good for you. Good for you. Good for you. So we're celebrating this morning, we're celebrating Easter, we're celebrating resurrection, we're celebrating God's love that conquers death, and we're, we're hearing the beautiful music, the brass, the flute, and everything in between, the timpani, and, and it's exciting. It's exciting. It's exciting. You know, and this is something that the world has looked at the church for for a long time. They've always been fascinated by this resurrection stuff. All you have to do is look at television these days and turn on any channel and try to find a channel that doesn't have a zombie on it. Right? Walking dead, talking dead, eye zombie, whatever it all that stuff is. They're all still trying to make sense of what does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to be alive? And what does it mean for us to believe in a God who brings life and love over fear and death? What does all that mean? I think we're still wrestling with that as a people. We're still wondering how to make sense of it whatsoever. And this, and this account of Jesus' resurrection hits us right in that place where some of those questions lie the deepest. You know, and sometimes we laugh about it and we'll sing about it and we'll praise. And it's still really some tough stuff. One of my favorite shows on Broadway recently was Spamalot. Any of y'all know Spamalot? Any of you know Monty Python? Okay. So Spamalot is a production of Monty Python. And so Spamalot plays a lot of, a lot of uh, energy, spends a lot of time with things that we call taboos, and then they play. Right? They play with it. And so, so this is one of their taboos, and it's the early part of the, of the show. There's a, this is a comedy, remember? And they're doing a song about the plague. It's a comedy, they're doing a song, and there's a wagon coming up the street, and as the wagon comes up the street, they're picking up dead bodies, you know, and this is a comedy. And so, as as, and people are actually dragging people out of the homes and putting them in the wagon, this sort of stuff, as the song continues. And then it gets to a part in the song where this one body pipes up and says, not dead yet, <laughs> not dead yet. And then the orchestra goes full tilt and everyone in the wagon jumps out and screams, we're not dead yet. And they do a full Broadway number, kicking and everything. <laughs> you know, so we try and make sense. We, we, know, we know that uh, death is difficult and challenging for us. And we try and find ways to work around it and wonder what it means. What does it mean for us that Christ has broken that barrier of death? That love has overcome that fear. And so we write songs about it and we do zombie shows about it. And we just sometimes worry in the night about it. You know, as we continue to wrestle with it for each of us personally, what does it mean for our faith? What does it mean in our life? And as we come to the scripture story today, we need to know that this is the gospel account of Easter from the first gospel written, known as the Gospel of Mark. And if you have several gospel stories in your history, you'll know there's some stories where there's two sort of angel creatures that shout out that he has risen, and some other stories, Peter's involved, and perhaps the beloved disciple John is involved. In one of the stories, there's an earthquake, and there's actual zombies walking around Jerusalem. If you don't believe me, read Matthew. That's a challenge. Get out your Bible and read Matthew. You know, <laughs> It's okay with me if you do that. 
you know. So, so in these various accounts of Easter Sunday and these different memories, and some of these were written later than others, and some of them were written as they made more sense of it to themselves and to the community of faith, what was going on. And so we're here with the earliest account from the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, there's actually two extra endings tacked on in your Bible, if you look, because they couldn't let it really end like it was today. It was just too hard. They ran away afraid, and they were quiet. That's how the first story of Easter written ends. Right there, they ran away scared and quiet. And it was supposed to end there. Because then it's up to us to fill in the rest. It's up to you to bring your faith and your journey and your story right into that gospel account. They ran away silent and afraid. How did it start that morning? It started in the dark, before sunrise. They were getting the things together they needed to go to the tomb and do the most faithful thing they knew to do when someone they loved had died prepare the body. They hadn't had a chance to do it before, and they're worried that the stone is in the way because that big thing they saw rolled in place. They weren't sure how they were going to get into the tomb, but they started early anyway, faithfully, to get together all the ingredients they needed to do what was most faithful for them, and they worried would they even be able to do this loving act, this ritual for the person they loved. And as they worried about it some more, as they get closer to the tomb, Mary and Mary, mother of James and Joanna, as they get closer, they see that the stone has already been rolled away. All their worry didn't matter. It had already been taken care of. Somewhere in the dark, things had started to be prepared. Things had started to change. The mystery had started to unfold. And so they arrived, and all the worry was for naught. Have you ever been worried about barriers in your path before? Have you ever been worried about anything that didn't happen? Yeah? You know, we talk about false fear. It can keep you from doing things, you know? I think false fear, you know, is much more worse than false hope. So why, why not let's hope a little bit, even when we can't prove why we hope? Why not let's live in hope a little bit more than living in that false fear? So here they are, their fears ahead of them, their worry. Can they get in? And the stone has already been rolled away. And so they look and they still can't do their faithful obligation. They still can't do what's most important for them to do. You know, and in grief, you look for those things you can do. If you've lost someone you've loved, you look for the simplest things to keep you sane. You may have fallen apart three or four times that day, but you're going to try not to fall apart the fifth time before breakfast. And so here they are doing the steps and the rituals they know how to do. I know how to make lasagna. And whenever anyone close to me dies, I know I'm going to bring over a lasagna. There's some things I can't do. I cannot bring the person back. I can, however, put layer upon layer and pray. I can stay for the moment in the presence of God's love for all of us, even when it hurts so much. And out from the end of it comes a lasagna that I can carry over to the house. But I do that because it's my ritual. It helps me get through some of those places that hurt the most. 
And here they are with their spices, with their ingredients that they're needed, and they can't even find the body. It's taken away from them the chance to do what they know they're supposed to do. So this is that first morning. It's great that we, 2,000 years later, have trombones and trumpets and all of these wonderful instruments celebrating it, and we shout hallelujah 2,000 years earlier, but to understand resurrection, we have to go back and walk through it. We have to go back and walk through it. Because their worry changes. It's not worry anymore. Now it's just emptiness. The body's gone. It's empty. What are we supposed to do with the empty tomb? What can we do? How can we move forward? They're worried, do they even know what life's going to be like now? This little family that's gathered around Jesus, is it just going to disperse and explode in different directions? Are some of us going to go back to fishing and others of us back to tax collecting? What's going to happen? It felt like a movement. It felt like, like an uprising. Jesus said even the stones would cry out. God was going to make it happen. Now it's just empty. He's dead is the uprising dead too. What will we do? It's just too empty. I want to read you a quote from Pastor um, Frederick Beekner entitled Whistling in the Dark about Easter. Beekner writes, when it comes to just what happened, there can be no certainty. That something unimaginable happened, there can be no doubt. The symbol of Easter is the empty tomb. You can't depict or domesticate emptiness. He rose. A few saw him briefly and talked to him. If it is true, there's nothing left to say. If it is not true, there is nothing left to say. For believers and unbelievers both, life has never been the same again. For some, neither has death. What is left now is emptiness. There are those who, like Mary the Magdalene, will never stop searching it, the emptiness, till they find his face. Never stop searching till they find his face. Boy, we want to get around emptiness any way we can. God help us, save us from that time of trial where we have to make meaning and sense of what life is for us. Save us from that place. I'm an old Star Trek fan from the very first series. Some of you, raise your hand if you were around that long ago. Okay, yay. James T. Kirk, not yet a captain, is going through Star Trek Academy. And as he's going through Academy, he has to pass these tests so he can be captain. And there's one test that they designed so that no one can ever win. It's always a devastating loss. Everyone dies in the test. And uh, after failing it twice, James T. Kirk decides he's had enough of that. So he sneaks in ahead of time for the test and he changes the programming so that he can win. And at the end of the test, they actually commend him for original thinking. But you have to face, he said, they tell him, the challenge that someday you won't be able to skirt the most challenging problems in life. 
Someday they're going to hit you smack in the face and they will be yours. For those of you real geeks, I want you to know that test was called the Kobayashi Maru. Is that right? Kobayashi Maru. But we try to get around it any way we can. Between the rock and the hard place, we're looking for another option. We want God to create another way for us or help us not feel empty to relieve the worry. And in this story, this account of the gospel, God says, you walk right into the grief. You walk right into the worry, you walk right into the emptiness, and that's how you will find your faith. That's how you will know what you proclaim. That's how you will be my faithful ones. Are you willing to search until you find the face? Are you willing to be one of those who shows up ready, not knowing how the stones are going to be rolled away? Just ready for what God will do for you. Are you ready to show up before sunrise and start searching for that face which is love, that face which is life, that face that you know, and you're hoping that you can find it there? There's lots of places in our world that feel like that first morning today. For some of us here in the sanctuary, it feels like that first morning. Just around the block, some feel like it that first, it's that first morning. At our Good Friday service, we talked about around the world is not so far away anymore. It's just a stone's throw. And we were given opportunities for how we might take action even when it feels empty. Even when we can't see where the stones are rolling away. Not to let them keep us from stopping. Not to keep not being able to see it from stopping us from being able to pull all the ingredients together we need to show up and see what God will have next for us. Oh goodness, people of God, can we start moving even if we think the stones are still in place? What this account tells us is God is already working to remove those barriers. Doesn't mean there won't be more, but God's already working to remove those barriers. Can we take the step God asks us to take? Look into the emptiness of the tomb and say, yes, God, we are here. We are still ready for the up rising. Use us. Make us yours. Some of you have been asking Walter and I, how's it going with the adoption? And uh, we thank you for your prayers and your hopes for us in that adoption. I want to tell you, sometimes it's exciting as all get out, and sometimes it's devastating. And we go back and forth between exciting and devastating. And so when the social worker asked me the other day, well, aren't you excited? You know, I, I kind of said, well, not anymore. But I'm committed. I'm committed. There's this child that I feel is called to be ours. And I am committed. It doesn't have to be exciting. And even if it's devastating, I am committed that we will move forward. And I believe this story... That's one child and one family. This Easter story is about the cosmos. It's about the world. It's about transformation. And it asks us, will we be committed? Will we move into the worry not knowing how the stones will roll. Will we walk into the emptiness 
sit with it, know the loss, will we commit? Will we commit to searching for the face in which we know God's love? Will we commit to being the people who are still a part of the uprising? Author Brian McLaren says of Easter Sunday, it is when the uprising begins. It's when the uprising begins. I invite you to continue making a commitment. I've seen Easter already these last few weeks. You who were here for the border crossing series saw all the barriers we had up here, cell bars, fence, and other items. You came forward and you tied prayers on it so that these systemic boundaries in our world would go away. And then you came back the next Sunday, and the next Sunday we tore them down. We tore them down and you applauded. But then a miracle happened at the end of worship. At the end of worship, the boundaries are torn down and the choir is singing, draw the circle wide. And you, without any instructions, created a circle. Gathered hand in hand around the whole sanctuary with the choir and finished that song, committing yourself to drawing that circle wider and wider still. Then we come into Holy Week, and the first night of Holy Week where we wash feet, which a lot of you don't come to because I know you don't like to have your feet washed. That's okay. Someday you'll be able to come to Monday, Thursday and get your feet washed. And it'll be okay to let someone serve you in that way, and it'll be okay for you to serve someone else in that way, as Jesus showed us. But at the meal before that foot washing service, this table was there. And I love this picture of it because this table is so diverse. Up at the front, you really can't tell the color, but here's one of our young people with kind of blue-green hair. Right next to him is another young person with kind of violet magenta hair. And then there's someone with no hair. <laughs> there's people of different ages and ethnicities in this picture. And if you look all the way at the back, you see one of the two moms. And right there in the other mom's lap is another bald one, but only bald because he's not old enough yet to have hair. For me, that is a story of an uprising. That's a story of crossing all kinds of borders, just at a table, just at a table. Then we went through Good Friday, and we came back again for Holy Saturday, a service of baptism. Whenever we do this, we don't know if anybody's going to show up. And we had nine souls baptized <laughs> last night. Last night. And I want to tell you why, again, I think that's a symbol of resurrection. They were making a new commitment. Whatever the worry, whatever the emptiness, there were teenagers, there were parents, there were older. In this group, they were making a commitment that whatever it looks like, I'm choosing to look for the face that's love. Whatever it looks like, I'm choosing to be a part of the uprising, the uprising that we call resurrection. Oh, people of resurrection, won't you be ready to commit? The time is now. Easter is here. The uprising begins. Amen.